Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Let me uh, shift gears slightly, Jim, and ask you, um, you were hanging around as a teen, you know, before parliament really hit big with the mothership tour right. um so you were hanging around before bootsy really came in and really right. got george centered on the one you know right right uh did you get to meet bootsy and what did you notice in how the music changed when he came in oh yeah i met bootsy pretty much the first time he showed up and bootsy showed up I think his first album was America Eats His Young. Mm. And it was a brand new day. When you get a bad bass player, dude, you already had bad drummers, you know, meaning good drummers, great drummers. And a good bass player is always hard to find. And when Bootsy showed up, which Malia had a lot to do with that, she introduced Bootsy and George. And once Bootsy showed up, it was good for him. It was good for George because George gave Bootsy all the freedom that James Brown wouldn't give him. And George being just out there in space, they were able to grab a lot of different things, you know, without even thinking about it, without regardless if didn't think about genre, didn't think about Oh, we know we're going to cut this music. And Boosie brought a, he brought that Bootzilla thing. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he turned it up 10 notches. Yeah. The I whole mean, vibe. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like that, 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 that number one player on the basketball team who uplifts everybody else on the team. And that's kind of like how Boosie was. Being that monster bass player and just his personality alone, you had to join in because there's no way you could do a session with Boosie without... Right? You, you can't get away from it. Yeah. So he brought, he brought some fresh stuff and from there, Chocolate City, uh, uh, what was the other one? Funk Intellecti versus Placebo Syndrome. Uh, Mothership Connection. 
And that was the deal that him and George made. George said, you help me do this, I'll help you get a deal. And the rest is history. Did you get to hang out backstage uh, when they landed the mothership? Or Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I just did a... Uh, I, I just did a... Uh, well, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I went backstage. I was backstage all the time. Pretty much, I had carte blanche. So yeah. that must have been just incredible to see from that perspective. Oh, yeah. When I was 13... This is before George got with Casablanca. They were still with Westbound. They did a gig at the uh, Olympia Theater, where the uh, Red Wings played, uh, the hockey team. So it was a big gig. I think it was called the Emancipation Show. Had Lou Rawls, Curtis Mayfield, the moments before it was Ray Goodman and Brown, Margie Joseph, and Parliament Funkadelic. So at the time, Lou Ross had uh, the number one hit, Tobacco Road. And Lou looked just like a star, man. I mean, Lou was sharp, groomed. I mean, wow. I mean, Lou Ross was something else. That boy, like, shiny. And so they were trying to tell Lou, which Lou was the headliner. They were trying to tell Lou, Lou, um, you might want to go on before these Parliament Funkadelic guys go on because it's going to get kind of crazy. But Lou was determined, no, I'm the headliner. I got the number one song. Okay, okay, that's Detroit. So Parliament went on. Of course, Eddie was there, Tiki was there, Billy on bass, and, and the part I want now, the band would go on first. So while Eddie been playing uh, Red Hot Mama, whatever, whatever, uh, now, Grady, Calvin, Fuzzy, and Ray, and George, they'll come dancing on stage, you know, doing their little routine thing. So in order to get me on stage to be able to watch the show, I had to get in the middle of Raymond and Fuzzy and dance my way up on stage with them. <laughs> So security, they're like, he with us, he with us. And it was, it was beautiful, man. I was like 13 years old. And what I dug about the moments, Ray Goodman and Brown. Now, when I saw them backstage, when they walked up to the stage, they were like in unity, man. One guy had, they loop, you know, they walking together step by step. I've never seen that before. You know, I catch hit the stage. You got one guy way in front of the other guy. The other guy on the stage already. Went. They were unified, man. And I thought that was some of the coolest stuff I ever seen. And I'm 13 years old seeing this backstage. <laughs> wow. That's that's quite a uh, interesting pairing, Funkadelic, back then with Lou Rawls. That's funny. Oh, yeah. George was crazy, man. He jumped off the stage, scared all the girls. They dispersed. <laughs> he was he was something else. <laughs> yeah, those were some interesting times. Oh. <clears throat> and did you get much exposure to uh, Eddie Hazel? Yeah. 
I saw Annie a lot. Matter of fact, believe it or not, when Chocolate City was out, they did a gig with Earth, Wind, and Fire. They opened up for Earth, Wind, and Fire at the McCormick Palace in Chicago. Now, they wasn't getting along that well, you know, Earth, Wind, and P-Funk. But Bernie got along with, seemed like everybody. But on the way up there, my brother was driving. But me and Eddie is in the back seat all the way, pretty much. So that's how close I was to Eddie in terms of being able to be that close. Funny guy, but I wouldn't, the person I would see the most would be Bernie. Bernie, because he was with Bernie and Boosie, because they were the nucleus at that time. And it was one time, uh, they called me up, I was around, I guess, I was just getting out of high school. And they called the house about three, two, three in the morning. Bernie called. Bernie said, Jim, 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 Jim. Uh, we need some drumsticks. There ain't no drumsticks down here. And I went and woke my moms up. Hey, mom, boo, boo, boozy, burning them. They said, there's no drumsticks, which I have drumsticks because I had my drum. Can I go take them some drumsticks? Of course, she said yes. And that was a magical time right there to show up two, three in the morning, coming to the rescue with the drumsticks. <laughs> and I was down there all day after that. <laughs> Were they cutting like rubber band music or Parliament or who knows what? They were cutting. Now, I was able to experience, I saw Bootsie with Maceo and Fred and them do some horns. I think either Wind Me Up album, either first or second album. But basically it was Bootsie that night, it was Bootsie playing drums to tracks. And at the time we just cutting tracks. So a lot of the tracks we cut, you don't even know where they're going. You know, we just cutting tracks. And so Georgia figure out later who's going to get that track. Because like I said, the tracks I did, I didn't know where they were going to end up. Matter of fact, I was in uh, California when Bernie's album came out. And a friend of mine, well, associate of mine, called me up to tell me I was on it, you know, because at that time, it was thrilling to see your name on a recording. So that was our thing. Who can accumulate more uh, uh, liner notes with your name on recordings? Yeah, so I didn't know what was going on Bernie's album. I didn't know what was going on. Parletta, I was just cutting. And after I cut the music, I didn't have nothing else to do with it after that other than, you know, you get you get your money, whatever money you can get. You know, Bernie is one of the great innovators of all time. Um, yes. I consider. Did you get a sense, Jim, like he wanted to push music like that? Or was it something that just came you know, naturally to him and he just did it? Or do you think he was actually driven to innovate? He was just an innovator. 
I mean, he just had it in him to do that. He, he, he could take it. I'm sure he took it places he didn't even know it was going to go that way. He just had it. He just, I mean, when you look, listen to Flashlight, I think Bernie doing about five to six keyboard parts on that song. He's doing pretty much all the Flashlight. And by him being a horn arranger, a string arranger, I mean, you know, Bernie was a little prodigy at four years old. So he just heard things differently than anybody else. And he knew how to put that funk thing. But more importantly, when he would buy the mini mood, the synthesizers, he would actually read the manual to see how you get, get these sounds. He was the only guy I knew who actually read the manual. You know, opposed to, you know, most cats get a new instrument. Man, just cut that thing on. We'll figure that thing out later. No, Bernie, I've seen him in the hotel room reading up on it. Yeah, he's something else, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's something. And, and once he left, it was never the same. It wasn't nobody could do. Bernie knew all the parts. He played all the parts. You know, he was the arranger on, on a lot of the, the topics. You know, Boo had the bass line, Boo had the drum, he had the drum, he had the bass line, but Bernie had them toppings to match George's wild imagination with his vocals and his lyrics and his arrangements. I mean, they were like this when it came back. He could match whatever crazy thing G came up with. He knew exactly what it take. Mm -hmm. brilliant yeah. brilliant I mean once Bernie was gone it was like dude how did you let that happen mm. how did you let Bernie get away there you go you'll be uh, glad to know it's actually out of the picture you can't see it but over there and in, in here you're not going to be able to see it from there. Uh, maybe before we sign off, I'll show it to you if you like. But I have Bernie Worrell's All the Woo in the World album signed on the wall over there. <laughs> I so. got to come there and sign that name for you too there, brother. J. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. So you're represented here, though, but not, not signed yet. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bernie, great guy, man. Tyrone, great guy. Ray, great guy. All of them great guys, man. It's just, unfortunately, the Casablanca deal was a George Clinton deal. But they thought it was a parliament deal because that's the name he was using with Chocolate City, Ted Rufoff, you know, Mothership Connection, Bunkin' Teleki versus Placebo Center. Those are parliament records. But it was a George Clinton deal. You get, you know, because he didn't one from Westbound. He was with Casablanca. And so they thought it was even Stevens, but it wasn't. They were considered sidemen when it came to his deal with Casablanca. Now, with the deal with Westbound, y'all agree. That's just my take on it. I could be wrong, but that's my take on it. You know, you mentioned Junie, Jim, and 
Did you get to see Junie uh, do his thing before he was part of P-Funk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Junie, so I saw Junie record. Matter of fact, Bernie and Judy, Junie were cool. I remember back early 70s, we're going to a studio called Pack 3. I'm maybe about 15, 15 or 16. Junie got the big chocolate brown on brown and brown Broham sedan, you know, the big four door. So I had a chance to ride to the studio. Yeah, I saw Junie. Junie, Junie, me and Junie were cool too. Yeah, Junie is an excellent, I mean, I've had the chance to watch him put stuff together. And I learned stuff. I learned stuff to Junie, watching Junie work, watching Don work, watching George work, Bernie, Boosie. I was fortunate enough to be in the studio quite a bit when Bernie, Boosie, and George was there by themselves, because that was the nucleus. They'd get the tracks together, like the music tracks, the arrangement. George might put a little bit on there to, 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 to get a melody going or get a hook going. And once they've gotten a lot of tracks like that, then the whole group will come in. That's when Mike Hampton come in, or Mike might come in by himself, him and Gary, vocals, Gary had to do vocals or it was time for Mike to start soloing. But then when it was time for everybody, that's when we had Studio A and Studio B and United Sounds were rocking, brother. We had the whole studio from the basement, Studio A, Studio B, the hallway, the outside, upstairs. <laughs> On the rooftop? On the rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> Landing the mothership on the rooftop. Yeah, man. So I was able to, Junie, a lot of cats. I was fortunate. And that was due to my sister letting her little brother hang out with Because she was doing a lot of work. You know, she'd be one of the first they call for background vocals. Did she ever share with you any, like, unforgettable experience that, that she had out there on the road or doing something? Only thing she told me, uh, uh, Scott, because I never found out what happened, still to this day, how she got in the situation she was in. George haven't talked to me about it. Boog mentioned a little, but still not clear enough. And it had bothered me seeing her in the condition that she was in. I mean, she was coherent. She still had a little life in her, but the singing thing was done. But she told me that was the best time in her life. And so I just took it at that. I said, well, as long as you happy, I'm happy. But she said that was the best time in her life. I said, okay, there you go. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, some of the Funkadelics kind of had similar things happen, you know, where they... You know. Well, it was just, it was always funny with the money, at least for me. And well, once the parlette thing was done, and I grew up around before it actually got big, big, big. And once the parlette thing went south, 
I just started pretty much concentrating on what I needed to do for me. And that's when I hooked up with Don, but I would run into everybody else because we worked in the same building. So did you get some credits uh, working for Don? I mean, did you? Yeah, I did. I was fortunate enough to get on one record and I don't read music. So I got through one session with Don. Actually, I'm playing on a, it's a Johnny Taylor record called Ever Ready. He did an album called Ever Ready. And I'm playing that title track. Did you get to meet him? Oh, Johnny Taylor? No, I didn't get to meet Johnny. Didn't get to meet Johnny Taylor. No, didn't, you know, was able to meet Gladys Knight, Michael Walden. I even met Des Dickerson and Peter Wolf because when Mike was, Michael Walden was recording at United Sounds, I peeked in on Studio B and Michael Walden was recording, getting some stuff ready for Aretha. And just so happened, Des Dickerson was in the studio with him and Peter Wolf of Jay Giles' band was in the studio with him. So I was able to meet those guys. I've shown your credits, Jim, a couple of George Clinton vocal credits uh, later on. Are those, did you actually sing on those records or were they samples? I, or? I, I sung on a few of them, but it's been a while. I couldn't tell you uh, which ones. Some of my best jokes are friends, uh, Capitol Records for George okay. Clinton. Okay. And um, Don't Dance Too Close, which was on. Uh, yeah. How late do you have to be before you're absent? Yeah, I did that with Belita. We did that over at um, Dark Studios here in uh, Dallas Austin Studios here in Georgia. Yeah, I do remember that one. So you still kept um, a cordial uh, relationship with George after? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. man, We don't always be cool. I understand it. He never, he never, he never, ever hid who he was. You know what I mean? And in this industry, everybody run their thing different. But I knew once the Parlette thing went crazy, I just knew, okay, we still cool, brother, but I got to go do my thing. You know, because he, 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 at the time, I didn't get the money I was supposed to get for the sessions to this day, you know, and, and working with Don, you get paid. Working with Almond, you get paid. Working with George, you didn't get paid like you got paid with them. At least I did. I don't know about nobody else. But that was the well, thing. Yeah, there you go. You done heard the story. <laughs> See, I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, were you surprised that the P-Funk empire crumbled like it did in the early 80s? Uh, no. 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 Not, not certain things me and Fuzzy talked about that I don't really want to mention. You know, I would like to get his consent before I mention things that we talked about, but they were just not happy. Basically, 
I could say this. It was the first time that they were getting their royalty checks out in California. It was his birthday. And they had a party for him at the Hollywood Hilton. And this was the day everybody getting the first royalty check. So basically, Fuzzy told me, he said it wasn't even a tenth of what he thought he might get. And that had a lot to do with Fuzzy, Calvin, Grady, and Ray splitting. Yep. They, they split, they did their own Funkadelic album, and then uh, shortly after that, I mean, the label deal fell through, and just, you know, Parliament stopped making records, Funkadelic stopped making records, and... Yeah, it became a mess, you know, it became a mess. Uh, and that's just the lack of communication, truthful communication. You know, I've always felt the cats that are playing with you, the cats that are helping you put this thing together, because George didn't do none of this stuff by itself. You know, he've always had Billy, Eddie, Tiki, Bernie. George is a great producer. He can get anything out of you. He's a visionary, but he's not a musician. And he couldn't have done any of that without the right musicians. And so... I guess the manipulation factor had a few trap doors. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it seems inevitable, you know, that it was not going to fall apart, but uh, man, at the time it was such a bummer, you know, it's <laughs> a huge fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, they could have, once the money came in, uh, Scott and George is not a, a guy that communicates, you know, he never really, well, at least with me, he never really had meetings. Nobody never really knew what was going on until it was time for it to go on. Uh, I've experienced when Parlette first came out, Ray called me, Ray Davis called me at the house. This was when Pleasure Principle was getting ready to come out. And Ray said, hey man, we down at the studio Come on down, you know, we having a good time, like a little party. Okay. So, you know, I dress regular, but not for no showbiz type stuff, right? <clears throat> so I see two limos outside. Oh, okay, two limos. So I get in and all of a sudden, within 30 minutes, come on, we're going to take a ride. Well, where are we going? We ended up at a big record shop where it was an autograph signing. They didn't tell me anything. This is in Detroit. Some of the people I knew, I'm not in the group at this point, but he got, a, got me, Donnie, Gary, Ray. We was presented as P-Funk. And I was very uncomfortable with that because, first of all, you didn't tell me we were getting ready to do that. And you pull up in front of a record shop where there's a lot of fans out there. So I tried to play it off. Like when we went in, I 
you know, they going one way. I'm trying to play it off like I'm a record store buyer, just looking at records. Next day, and I know I'm surrounded by all these people, you know, because they think I'm one of these parliament cats and I'm nervous as hell. And Mally will say, we over here, Jim, we over here. And I see a few people I know. And I didn't like that because you can see me on the bus tomorrow. And, but I don't like presenting myself as something that I'm not. I don't, I don't do that. Now, if you would have told me that that's what we were getting ready to do, then I could have made a choice. But he just sprung that on me, man. And, and that's the kind of stuff that would happen that you don't know is going to happen. <laughs> well, it seems that there should have been a manager or something explaining those things. Because, I mean, George is so, like, spread with all the different things that were going on at the time. I would think there'd be, you know, other people to help communicate those things. That's what we thought, bro. <laughs> you would think. This is Parliament Funkadelic. It's a whole nother party. Well, you made it through somehow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I still love those guys. I love the experience. Still love George. Uh, still see George. Will always be, you know, I'm always P-Funk. Once you in, you in. You ain't never out. You know, and uh, fortunately... I was able to go on a, a sometime I would follow a tour presenting my own independent stuff. And George was cool with that. He was cool with that. Some other people wasn't, but he was cool with it. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, those, that's, that's my family right there. You know how families can be dysfunctional now. <laughs> Get that dysfunctional. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but I'm we cool. That, that, that should have been that should have been one of the album titles. Yeah, all of us cool. You know, we all have a special bond with each other because we made a lot of music together, despite if you were there from when I started, or you came after certain guys left, or you ended up being a P Funk All-Star. But we all, you know, love each other in our own way. Mm -hmm. And uh, how shocking is it to you that George is still touring and doing shows? Well, he kind of messed up a lot of money. So, you know, he might got to get out there and pay some of that money back. <laughs> well, I can dig that, but the man is 80. He's a different kind of cat, man. He's 80. But he got a young wife. <laughs> I think his wife could be about 25, 25 is junior. No, nah. Oh, yeah, his junior. Oh, I thought you were going to say 25, period. No, yeah. She's yeah, junior like 55. Carla. Carla. So yeah. That, that'll help a brother stay young now. Yeah, no, she helps him out for sure. And then he's always had remarkable energy, man. He's always had just that energy like that energizing bunny that's who they should get to do that commercial have g with the little <laughs> little drum energized bunny george <laughs> i 
I want my cut, G, if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Who are your favorite, like, two drummers? Oh, well, Robin Russell is one. Well, it's hard to say because a lot of cats, Robin Russell, Tiki, Tyrone, Jerome Brelly, and Zachary Slater. Those are the five cats. Jerome Brelly, Tiki Fullward, Tyrone Lampkin, Robin Russell, and Zachary Slater. Zachary Slater of? Zachary was a session drummer. That was Debbie's, uh, my sister's baby's daddy, you know, her first son, Charles Wright. Zachary was one of the excellent studio drummers in Detroit. I mean, he was one of them cats you call for a session. And the last thing I heard on Zach, of course, Zach had, you know, substance abuse problems at times. But I had heard he ended up getting a gig with Bill Withers. And he just couldn't play. He could play, but it wasn't funky enough for him. And he didn't play in the pocket like you would have to play with the Bill Withers song. You know, he used to play other stuff. So he didn't play that gig. And unfortunately, uh, the substance got the better part of him. Hmm. So, Jim, you did your own thing, like you said. Um, looking at your list of, of credits that I was able to locate, uh, you know, I see the album from 2001, which um, I'll see you soon. Really good funky record. I recommend it to anybody who digs funk. Definitely check that out. I was very impressed with that one. Um, you. Did you release other ones before that? I released, uh, these are two 12-inch records. The first one is called Talking to Myself. I released this when 12-inch records were big in 85. This is still on the market as well. And I released this also. It's called You Know What She Said. There's another 12-inch record. That's on the market right now as well. So, yes, I stopped putting my first record out in 85 and 86. Then I learned all about the little payola stuff if you want to get on the radio and how you, you know, I learned all of that. And then I laid out for a while, went through a divorce. I got to end up getting a drum gig in Florida that lasted about three months. From there, I came to Georgia. And that's when I hooked up with other musicians. And the feeling was just something happened. And I put myself in a position to start recording again you know once i met my wife she was behind me she helped me a lot a lot of people helped me, you know but i was determined this is what i was here to do so i did a record uh called funk for the new millennium uh, 
I did this one before I'll see you soon. Funk for the new millennium. And this is love every day. I did love every day after I did I'll see you soon. And I have a lot of singles available on the uh, digital outlets from Amazon, Spotify, CD Baby. I got a good, man, good about 12 singles out there as well that's available on MP3. So all, they, all you have to do is you can go to my YouTube channel and you can see everything that I have. And you playing multiple instruments on those records? Yes. Well, on I'll See You Soon, I'm playing drums on all of them except one song. I got a uh, drummer friend named Reggie Vickers. He's playing on my stuff. But the other albums, other songs, I'm playing drums and keyboards on. I'm playing keyboards on all of them. Uh, recently, just picked up a guitar about 10 years ago. And my first guitar song is a song, well, I got a couple of them. Uh, you Know I Know, playing a little rhythm. But You Make Me Smile, I'm pretty much playing all of that. Acoustic guitar, acoustic bass, strings on the end. And I got a brother named, uh, a friend of mine named Randy Skinner is playing trumpet. It's just basically guitar, trumpet, and strings on the end with vocals called You Make Me Smile. Yeah, I wasn't sure when Funk for the New Millennium uh, came out. I thought that was maybe after. Yeah, that's 1999. Okay. Yeah, and that, 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 it was supposed to be, that's a whole nother story how that came about. But I like it. I like that record. I wasn't able to finish it as, as much as I want because of the thing I went through with a guy I was working with. And so I decided to just put it out anyway and let it work itself the best way it can. So, because I don't like doing anything. I like completing work, man. I don't like doing, starting stuff and not finishing. Well, I mean, all props to you for that music because it's quality funk, you know? Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that truly. How how did you come up with the uh pseudonym? Oh, the JW? Just trying to be different. You know, and that was and I did that in 85. I didn't think the trade market, because there's a lot of JWs out here now. <laughs> but I my I mine came, I'm the original. I came my JW. I've seen a few rappers calling themselves JW, but I probably came out before they were even born. Because <laughs> this, my first record is 1985 with JW on it. So if they were born after 1985, they saw it somewhere around, you know, but it's all good. You know, I don't have no problem with that. I was wondering if it was related at all to George Clinton's album had that track double OO on it. Oh, 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 I, no, not that I know of. No, no, it was just my initials, Jim Wright, 
And I just wanted to spell the W different just to have something different. And then the meaning behind it is like J double U basically mean when you look at me, you're looking at you. When we look at each other, we're looking at each other. We are no different. You know, you, you, I'm you, you double, I'm double, you double, you, I'm. <laughs> so hey. that's how that goes. Yeah, as long as you double up on the funk, all good. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I like to ask guys that come on, Jim, uh, to pick like their five top albums of all time that they had nothing to do with. Uh -huh. So if you could only have like five records to listen to for the rest of time, what would they be? Herbie Hancock, Chameleon. America Eats is Young. Santana, an album called Amigos. Oh, man. I got to throw the Temptations up in there. Marvin Gaye, baby. Well, you know, Marvin Gaye, I Want You. That's one of my favorite records. And that's four. Who would be? Oh, I got to throw Bootsy up in there, man. I got to throw Bootsy up in there. Second album or? No, I would say Stretching Out, man. I stretching Out with something else. And this is for Bootsy as well. Now, the album with the big glasses on it. Yeah. And it's a record, As Is I Love You, right? I'm playing the trampoline, the little triangle. I didn't get my credit, boo. <laughs> the little, as an it? Ding. <laughs> That's me, brother. <laughs> wow. Oh, boo, you owe me credit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's me on the triangle. And then love you. Ding. <laughs> wasn't Casper, it was Jim. It was Jim, exactly. He put KK Casper, my credit man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must have some other uncredited things too yeah i i probably because it was a lot going on and and george just basically concentrated on the production he would try to get the right people to do business but that's kind of hard to do when you know everybody doing the same thing if you get my meaning yeah, no, it was somewhat organized chaos. Yeah, somewhat, you know, <laughs> but when it came to business, you needed a straight mug to handle that. And I don't think he ever had a straight mug to handle that. So that's why things can get wacky. But got one of the baddest catalogs in the world, man. Mm. Parliament Funkadelic, oh my God. And it's still coming. He's still coming. The uh, I love the track. 
I'm going to make you sick. I'm going to make you sick of me. Now, that is just clever. And I think Junie helped produce that one. That's a track him and Junie worked on. Yeah, before we lost Junie. Yeah. And and Mudbone's on there, too. So Yeah, Mudbone. Yeah, Mudbone bad boy, too. Mudbone. So it's, 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 it's so much music and a lot of stories, but it's great experience. Great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And other than that, I hope I see and hear from whoever is able to see this production. Hopefully I'll see you soon, just like the record says. I want to see everyone as soon as I can and play some live music and spread good vibrations. Outstanding. Thank you for spending time and sharing the stories with us. And thank you also for reaching out to me in the first place, Jim. Thank you, Scott. All right, man. Take care, Jim. You too, brother. Keep that funk alive, baby. (laughs) All right, brother. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.